And uh, we're going to continue this journey as Russ prayed through the Sermon on the Mount, what the Lord had to say to all people, both religious and non, both educated and we would say non, and everyone in between. And uh, quickly, a one housekeeping message before I pray. At our had a great deacon meeting yesterday morning, and one of the things that we want to reintroduce, because we should, is a deacon's offering. Many have been around church long enough to know what that means. And we're not asking for more money. That's not what we're saying. But once a month on Communion Sunday, we're going to have a special offering. And we're going to highlight as we're led a cause. It might be something local like Second Harvest. It might be something like the Red Cross, whatever we decide. And it might be something like missions, both locally and globally. So on June 5th, I think it is, Communion Sunday, we're going to have our first deacon's offering in a while. And what we want to do is give all of us a chance to give to a trip that has happened and a trip that's going to happen while we're taking the offering. So many of you know Margaret Harkin back there went on a medical mission in January. And she still is trying to recoup some of her costs because she went in faith. And that's great. And we want to give people a chance to give to that. And then John, our brother, is leaving in nine days, eight days. Eight days to the Philippines. Both trips were to the Philippines. And he's going to go and strengthen churches and help with some church planning. So you'll hear more about that. And as we go through the summer, we want to give everyone an opportunity to give to this. And sometimes we'll just take an offering for the deacon fund. And what that is, if you're not sure, sometimes people need help, right? All of us need help. And sometimes people need medicine. And sometimes people need help with rent. And sometimes people just need. And that deacon fund is like a grace offering to those who are in need. And it's an amazing to be a part of a church where we don't have to go through 15 or 20 hoops to help the hurting. We get to make one email or phone call, right? And in faith we help. And that's what most of the sermon is about. That's what God has done for us. So that was my housekeeping. That'll be June 5th. You'll hear more about it. And let me pray. And we will be in Matthew chapter 5. We're actually going to start in verse 20, just a quick one-verse recap, but let's pray. Father, help me and help us. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for getting us here. Give us the grace to be excited and encouraged about what's going to happen down on Laurel in a few weeks, that we might meet and greet and love more people and do a mighty work in the next half hour or so. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 5, verse 20, this was the fulfillment of, Hinge piece we saw last week, Matthew 5, 20, talking about Jesus fulfilling the law. He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Most of the, us, including myself, have been taught that in a wrong way. That sounds like eternal life, right? That's not. It's the kingdom of heaven here and when? Now. Jesus, in the book of Matthew and other places, talked a lot about kingdom now. The kingdom is here. God's grace being ushered into earth by this man, Jesus, fulfilling all that was given. So unless you, yours and mine, unless our righteousness exceeds that of what, who? The religious elite? We will not be Blessed when we mourn. You see what he's doing? Remember the Beatitudes? <laughs> we will not be blessed when we're poor in spirit. We will not be given when we're meek and gentle. So that's one thing I wanted to clarify. There's a big spotlight on this verse, and this is what Jesus begins to attack in the next six statements. He gives six 
You have heard it said, now this is the reality statements. You could probably name them if you've been around church, but we're going to enter into the first one about anger, and Jesus specifically talks, when he's talking about anger is, it's not just about not picking up a stone and throwing it at someone. I'm concerned and God is concerned with your heart. So in Jesus raising the standard, in Jesus bumping up the notch of quote-unquote righteousness, we'll talk about that, that's kind of a churchy term, Jesus says the scribes and Pharisees are only concerned with the outward behavior of human beings. God is concerned what goes on inside your heart. So let me, I'll show it to you. 21, here we go. We love this verse. Red-blooded Americans, can I get an amen? We love this verse. Yes, everyone say that, right? You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to what? Judgment, and we go, that's what I'm talking about. I've seen your Facebook, I know you think that. But we love that. But then most of the times in the Bible, we need to keep what? Reading. Because if we pigeonhole any thought on this verse, we're going to need to go out to coffee and I'm in my best detectiveness going to try and get to your heart because something isn't right in there per se because we got to keep reading. Next verse. So Jesus says, but I say to you, I fulfill what was written in the law and the prophets and I say to you this, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. If we get there, remember his brother. That little clause there. Because there were lawyers and other people in Jesus' day who tried to trick him. And one of the questions they would ask, and if you're kind of a cynical person, no one in church, right? You would ask, well, who is my brother, right? But remember that. But I say to you, that if anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. Lots of debate there. I'm not going to go exactly there today. I'm going to talk about this whole concept of whoever murders, judgment. But then Jesus takes it up a notch and says, I say to you, Anger is the same thing as murder when it's in your heart. And there's a pattern here. Jesus is taking us on a journey of what anger leads to. He is combating, big words, external righteousness. You know what that means? How many of you have a dog? Any dog lovers in here? How many of your dogs are well behaved? Uh, even the best one, I know. Could you, Frankie, I'll point you out, even if your dog's not well-behaved, I don't know if he or she is, could you make your dog obey every word you say? You could, right? You would probably be charged with abuse, though, right? Because you can make your dog or an animal or a human obey every word if you exert enough what? Force. What the Pharisees tried to do, they, they tried to use the force of God's law in an improper way to get people to behave a certain way. God said, that's not my, I don't, I don't work that way. Remember David when he was called? Remember David in the Old Testament? 
Famous verse, Samuel 16, 9, 2 Samuel. First or second, someone help me. God does not judge on the outward appearance, but he sees the what? Heart. So in Jesus fulfilling and bringing forth more truth, he says God has always been concerned with the heart and he's not so concerned with external behavior because God in wisdom says, if I get to the heart, everything else will fall into what? Place. If I show these people how much I love them, if I show them what I've done for them, if I show them the beauty of my Savior and they fall into a forgiveness-based, grace-based love relationship, the rest is just details. So Jesus says the prohibition against murder has now become the prohibition against anger. Uh Uh-oh, church is going to disappear. No one here at 10 a.m. next week, right? That's what he has said. He says, we, Dave, cannot go around calling people fools and idiots. I will be transparent. On Friday, I was with my in-laws with Holland. Something happened, and I called this gentleman a fool and an idiot, and I was wrong, even though he acted like a you-fill-in-the-blank. But I had to wrestle with that, because isn't it amazing when you're preparing for a sermon on anger and this, God puts it right in front of you two days before you preach. And I got to wrestle with that. And why does he say this? Jesus never asked us to do something he didn't live out and he didn't show as an example of who God and what his intentions for humanity are. My kingdom is filled with people who don't go around calling people fools and idiots because of my grace, Jesus says. But then look, look what he says, verse 23. It's a progression, folks. Jesus was not the original Dr. Phil, but he was wise beyond his earthly years. So if you are offering a gift at the altar, if you go to worship, that's what that means. If you go to church, oh, this gets touchy, and there at church, you remember that your brother has something against you. I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. Church, listen. We're seven months into this union, this merge. By this point, we found a few people who have maybe, you know, been a little bit like sandpaper sometimes with us, right, on our personalities. And this is what the verse says. He says, if you're offering something, if you're worshiping, if you're serving, and you, what, remember, not that you have, what, done something, or that you have sinned, but if you remember that your brother or someone has something against you. Oh. How many people are over 40? That's what I am. Thank you for being honest. Don't raise your hand on this one. This will be incriminating. How many countless people at times have things against us? A few, right? Some of them I know you've walked in honesty and integrity and love and peace But the point Jesus is getting at is, in my kingdom, what I'm ushering in, what my grace and peace and gospel offers is complete restoration in all circumstances. It's offered. Now, I know it takes two to tango. I know in counseling, you got to have this and that and that. But Jesus says, if you remember somebody has a little "Eh!" with you, what do you do? Keep reading. That's why the Bible is hard to read. Keep next verse. Leave your place of worship. 
But Lord, don't you want me to worship all the time? We can talk about that too. Leave it there before the altar and go. First seek reconciliation. This is the heart of the kingdom to you and your brother and then come and offer your gift. Amazing, preparing for this for two weeks. I was at a family wedding eight days ago. A person in my family, both of us probably have stuff against each other. Just the way it works out. And again, preparing with this, you know how God speaks, to me at least, not verbally. I never heard him audibly, I want to say that. But usually when I'm preparing things or going through things, I just hear like a little heart check like this. Let me do it here. Can I do this? Almost like a little tap. And the Holy Spirit reminds me, well, you want to preach good, but why don't you go talk to that family member about reconciliation and peace? But God, and then you dismiss it, and then you're driving down the road. So you want to preach good, but you know this has been going on for six years. Why don't you at least start to deal with it? Oh, turn the radio station, get the Giants game on, get angry at something, right? Get mad. Then when I'm praying for one of my daughters, the Holy Spirit, why don't you get off your good dad card and do what I've told you all the way? And so at this wedding, there was an opportunity for at least the beginnings of reconciliation. And you know what happens? It's like, oh, God's grace floods the heart. And there's opportunity. And for the first time in a long time, I heard this person say, I'm sorry, there was a but, but I'll take the I'm sorry, right? And myself as well. Let's work on this. So Jesus starts to talk about the characteristics of his kingdom, people who are following him, and he says, I'm ramping it up. I'm concerned with your heart, not just your stone throwing. And there's a reason. Progression. Go ahead, next verse. So he talks about murder and anger, which obviously lead to people having things against each other. And if it ramps up further, where do we end up sometimes? Down at the courthouse. We'll pray for the Prevost family, right? We'll continue to pray because that's serious business. But if you haven't been to the courthouse besides for jury duty, praise God, it can get intense. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. A lot of wisdom there. <laughs> Lots of wisdom. Sometimes you cannot get that. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Jesus is not saying to Christians, it is out of the will of God to go to court. I've heard that preached too. That's not what this verse says. You see that? Jesus is making a progression You've heard it said, now let me tell you about anger, and then he talks about what anger does relationally sometimes and seek reconciliation, and then he says if anger continues to build and you go to the court or the judge with anger as your motive and the covering of your heart, you can be liable because anger clouds every one of our spiritual senses. You ever been mad as, that's what these verses get at. When we get mad as that, Destruction awaits, church. It's the truth. It's what our Lord has said. And then to re-up it, go ahead, next verse. And Jesus says, don't look for God to give you a shady plea deal because you've already disobeyed what was said. 
if that happens, you will serve your time. And that's not the worst thing. So Jesus takes people on a journey. It is a very familiar passage. What, the first thing we need to see is what? Anger, not dealt with in the grace and the gospel of Jesus, will destroy. If I pass the microphone around to many of you who have lived a little longer than some of us, you could probably attest to that. Anger destroys relationship, families at times, people at times, and anger can be dealt with in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering. I've hit this a couple times, but it's warranted because of uh, November, whatever's coming. Anger in Jesus' mind is destructive, but in the devil's mind, I don't talk about him much, it is incredibly unifying. You guys know what I mean? Anger and love are the two most powerful emotions and forces, if you want to say it that way, I believe, in the world. (laughs) I think love trumps it, because we know a man whose name is Love Christ, and he gave his life so that love and forgiveness could be offered, and that, in his gospel, the Holy Spirit uses to transform hearts which were angry once and now are loving, and there's a beautiful thing there. But anger and love are two of the most powerful forces in the world. If you don't believe me, watch CNN for two hours. So there's a danger with anger besides the, you don't know what's been done to me. Your pastor says, amen, I don't know, but the Lord does, and let's work on that. That's all I can offer. Let's work on that. Let's get together and pray. Let's get you the proper people to get around together and pray, and let's go to the Word, and let's let the Holy Spirit process that out. There are heinous things done to people that should invoke anger, but in the new kingdom, in God's kingdom, there's a way to deal with that. And if you're struggling with that, come see me, come see Jeff, and let's talk about that. But the danger here, church, is... Anger is incredibly unifying. It's been that way since the beginning, and let me show you how it works. We're almost even. You guys are the underdog, okay? There's less. Did you hear what they said about you guys? Did you hear what this group of folks said about you guys? You would not believe what they said about you guys. Can I tell you what was said over here? Already, What? I got a team, right? I got a team of 40. There's only 40 of them. How are you going to let them push you around? Where's your pride? Where's your manhood? Where's your womanhood? Where's your sense of justice? They are wrong. That's simplistic and kind of lame. Don't be angry at me, right? But that's how our world works, folks. In business, in politics, I guess I can't even be angry at Dodger fans. In sports, we do that, right? Uh, Well, in the church sometimes, right? The church is sometimes the most deadly because who is always on our side in the church? God. He's not, though. He's not, right? So anger is enticing. It's seductive, and it can be incredibly unifying. It feels good. Anger invigorates us. There have been studies. I don't do many studies. Anger and feeling justifiably angry can release similar endorphins as a lot of medicines that release those endorphins. It makes you feel different. 
Now there's side effects too, like blood pressure and heart rate and respiratory rate and passing out, but in physical violence. But as Christians, as a church merging in this walk, we can walk a fine line sometimes between seeking righteousness and seeking justice. Jesus spoke about that. We should yearn for that and being angry. And I'm speaking to my heart here. And I just want you to know the Holy Spirit comforts and guides and encourages when we are seeking rightness and justice for the sake of God. And there's another spirit who would love to come in between us and go, remember what they said about you? And he's a spirit or spirits, but they are not holy. I just want us to know that. That's why sometimes there's such a visceral reaction to, I can't believe they posted that. And that's a tame one, right? I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they didn't show up. We all do that, I hope. I do. Your pastor does sometimes. But God has called me to deal with that in Christ, in the person of his son, who bought my life with his own blood, and that is humbling. I got six minutes, I'm going to go fast. One other story. You've heard it. You're probably familiar with it. But you remember that clause, brother? That little brother clause? Can you guys flip to Luke 9 real quick? Actually, Luke 10. I'll do Luke 9 real quick. Luke 10, guys. Luke 10, we'll, we'll be there in a second. 25, don't put it up yet. So Jesus goes around teaching about anger and about lying and about adultery. We'll get there. And about integrity and all these things. And it makes a lot of people who are focused on external living really mad. And they try and trick him over and over. So Jesus has this little phrase and... Someone comes up to question him in Luke 9. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Trust your pastor. And he says, Jesus, what do I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, don't you know? <laughs> You're the teacher. And he says, what? The, t- the student or the guy Jesus is addressing says, love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus goes, You're awesome. Go for it. And then what does smarty pants say? Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? The same way we might ask, well, Jesus, who is my brother? Who can I not be angry at, right? Because if you're smart and you're smarty pants, you can get there. Luke 10, verse 31. Actually, verse 30, guys. Luke 10, verse 30. I'm going to read it a certain way. You can look at the verse. Let's see what it says. Jesus taught this way. A man was going down from Burlingame to San Carlos, and he fell among robbers. These robbers stripped him on Laurel Avenue, beat him, and left him for dead. Now, by chance, a pastor at First Baptist was going down the road. That's me, not Jeff. It was me, okay? When he saw him, that pastor Dave walked by. Jesus keeps teaching. So likewise, a seminary professor walked down, and when he came to the place, 
He crossed the other side and walked by. You ever do that? Come on. Jesus is real. You ever see something you don't want to even engage with and just cross the road and keep walking? You've been there. You're smart. I get it. Verse 33. But a Muslim, as he journeyed, came to where the man was and saw him and had compassion on him. He went... He bound up his wounds. He took him to Sequoia Hospital. He left his credit card and he said, I have to go do business. Whatever it costs, I, I am good for. Then Jesus asked, verse 36, which one of these is a neighbor? The pastor who believes like you? The seminary prof who teaches what you should believe? Or the Muslim? And the guy who was wise enough said, the one who showed mercy. Now I know that's not specifically anger, in, but that's inconvenience and all these things. And why I wanted to close with that is because Jesus, in fulfilling the law and the prophets, not only heightens not murder, not anger, raising the standard, looking at our hearts here and now, in grace we can obey him and walk with him, he heightens the standard of who neighbor and brother is. It's not just Christians. It's all people. Anyone who I have the capacity to sow mercy to is my brother or sister and neighbor, biblically. I'm going to say it again. Anyone who I or you, you or I, have the capacity to show mercy and grace to are now our brothers and sisters. You see how Jesus in the sermon just goes, whew. And in my heart, it eradicates all my excuses. Because I like to go, well, yeah, I want to help the Christians. Yeah, I, we're going to help Christians. But in Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets, he says, my kingdom citizens, I'm going to send them everywhere, and they're going to help impartially without partiality. I'm going to send them to places where they're going to be opposed. Jesus talked about that. You'll be persecuted, but I'm with you. Why I brought that story up is I would bet almost every struggle you and I have at the root is lust or anger. We're going to talk about both in the next month. And it's not just immoral lust, dealing with the opposite sex or sexual lust. Lust is putting anything above human beings to gain personal gratification. That's what lust is. So I would argue that anything that why we're irritable, why we're uncomfortable, why we're sad, why we're frustrated at times. I know there's other extenuating circumstances, but just us on a daily basis at the root, we're dealing with anger or lust. And Jesus says, pursue me. Be obedient to me. I've dealt with all the anger of the world on that cross. Receive. Be cleansed. Be put back together. And walk in peace. I hope a lot for our church. But one of the things I hope most is people don't see us as angry Christians. Church, we, I know there's issues in our life and we can deal with that. 
in deeper ways. But let's pray in the next season and seasons and years and decades that in grace and in God's love, we would be able to deal with our anger correctly. Because sometimes it's talking to people. You remember what Jesus said? Go deal with it. Oh, that makes me more angry. That's what. <laughs> but that's where we're going. We're going to talk about this idea of lust. And then on Father's Day, I'm a father, we're going to talk about integrity. Speaking the truth. Let me pray. We're going to conclude after that. I know some of you look bulldozed. But Dave, it says in the scriptures, you know, be angry and do not sin. That's what Jesus said too. <laughs> it says in the scriptures a real practical thing. Remember it in Ephesians? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. The pastoral encouragement, you will sleep better. We have a practical rule in our house, unless it's an emergency, we won't talk about things that will probably make us angry after 10 p.m. That's just wisdom for us. You might be better. You might be night owls. Maybe some of you are like, no, go 6 p.m., right? But Jesus, in his goodness, in his humanity, in his brotherhood for us, gave us a way to deal with anger. And if you didn't pick up, it's usually talking about it. And the hard part is it's usually talking about the people who the anger is with. <laughs> and we can walk with that together. Let me pray. You will be adjourned after I pray. Please join us across the way for fellowship. We have a two-week trial. That means we have 13 and a half days so the farmer's market's here. Don't be angry about it. We have opportunity. We have a chance to engage. And we have some interesting and fun things coming up this summer. We'll tell you more about that in a couple weeks. Let's pray. Why don't you guys stand? I never ask you to stand. It seems more official, right, Farshad? When we stand, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray and hope that him coming and fulfilling and upping the standard would free us and give us the grace to deal with some of the things that plague us in our hearts, Lord. Father, I do pray for the hearts of your people here. Cultivate and work and move. Father, give us the grace to Understand what you said about anger. Understand its destructive path. Holy Spirit, remind us that we're free in Christ because he's paid it all to openly and honestly deal with the things that we struggle with. Bless these people. Keep them. May your face shine upon them. And when we gather together, may we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.